All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to pick back up, and we're going to start in verse 7. And I believe according to what happened in the first service, I'll only get to verse 11. But that's okay. It's all good. All right, so 2 Corinthians 1, 7. Let's read. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation or comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, for our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in the God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Let's pray for our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God, that it is blessed. We're going to open our heart, receive it by faith. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher. You'd anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of all the ones that are listening and open them by the gift of your grace. Cause them to see, hear, and understand what you're saying. Father, I thank you for breaking this apart and ministering it to each person until they walk away hearing from you today. And only you can do this miracle and believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right go to verse 7 start unpacking this and so verse 7 says and our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings so also you'll partake of the consolation so we started this book last week so if you missed it last week you can go on to our website riverrockchurch.net the archives back there audio video and also we have podcasts, we have Apple Podcasts, we have Spotify Podcasts, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're like Visa, everywhere you want to be, we're there. So praise God, you can get that. And so we opened this book talking about this book is written to the Corinthian church, and so Paul had written 1 Corinthians and brought strong correction to the church. There was a mess in this church. And so if you think you've ever been to a messy church, well, it has nothing compared to this church. And so in this church, you had strife and division in the church. In the church, you had people suing one another in the congregation. You had a man sleeping with his stepmother, and the church was proud about it. We, we're the, we believe in the grace of God. Look how much grace we have that a man such as this can be among our midst. And so you had someone like that. You had people misusing the gifts of the Spirit. They're all popping up, trying to speak in tongues, all together trying to give messages to each other. And so they were misusing the gifts. There were some in there even getting drunk at the communion table, slipping the wine and getting drunk. And so and then there was some false doctrine in the church. So it was a mess. So I don't know how bad of a church you came from. It is not that bad. And so praise God. And so in this letter, 2 Corinthians is a letter of restoration. He's restoring them. They repented by and large. Now there's some in the congregation that was not happy to be corrected. And they're going to turn back and start pointing their finger at Paul and start blaming him for certain things. Start saying, well, how do we know you're an apostle? And so he's going to have to defend his ministry. But in the first chapter, Paul's talking about suffering as a Christian. And as you as a Christian, I don't know if you thought about that. It's like, you know what? I'm not signed up for suffering. Praise God, that's something I didn't sign up for. Well, welcome to be a Christian. And so there are sufferings, but there are going to be the sufferings of Christ. 
So you need to see what sufferings Jesus had. What sufferings did he have? What did he suffer? Did he suffer the flu? Did he ever say, Peter, you're going to have to take over the ministry today. I just am under the weather. I can't handle this today. No, you never see that. Do you see him suffering poverty? No, he had a treasurer that was stealing money out of the money bag. He had money being poured in. Women, rich women were following his ministry, pouring out, uh, I believe, millions of dollars into his ministry, funding his ministry. So, so that he didn't suffer poverty. Jesus redeemed us from that. But one thing, what did Jesus suffer? Persecution. You have not been redeemed from persecution. Yea, those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so this is the suffering. That's the only suffering that you really, as a Christian, are called to is persecution. But that's, from, that's a wide range. It's from the devil. It's from the world unbelievers, but also some Christians that are religious Christians. You'll get, you'll, the biggest persecutor of the church is religion. And so then also what you'll be persecuted by is your own flesh. If you say no to it every once in a while. No to that second piece of pie. No! Your flesh will cry out. Do you know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, I, I didn't realize the flesh could persecute me. Absolutely. Look in, look in 1 Peter 2, look at verse 11. Pop that up on the screen, please. 1 Peter 2, look at verse 11. You get persecution from the devil, from the world, and your flesh. And so it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. That's a good uh, Thanksgiving verse. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're a pilgrim. Abstain from fleshly lusts, say fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. The flesh will war against your soul. That means your soul's on the side of God. But your flesh will try to get your soul, your will, your mind, and emotions to get off from trusting God. And so you can get persecuted from the flesh. And says, and so there's suffering. So in this verse it says, Our hope for you is steadfast because we know as that you are partakers of the sufferings. What sufferings? Persecution. So also you'll be partaker of the consolation. Look at that word consolation. We looked at it last week. The word consolation is the Greek word parakalesis, which means comfort, comfort. Now, comfort is not the same as sympathy. You ever had someone give you sympathy? Oh, I'm so sorry that you're going through that, and I may pray for you if I think about it. And, and so, poor baby. But that, the comfort of God is not sympathy. This word comfort in the Greek means to be filled with strength, to fill with courage, to invigorate to fortify. And so he's called the God of all comfort. And so when you get close to God, he's going to fill you with strength. He's going to fill you with power. He's going to fill you full of fortification. And so he's the God. That's who he is. And so again, God is the God of all comfort. He wants to comfort you in all your suffering, persecution from the devil, from the world, and also from your flesh. And so when we go through sufferings, I think sometimes it hits us by surprise when we have a trial in our life. It's like, what is going on? You know what? I think as a Christian, when I first got saved, I thought, now that I'm a Christian, now I'll never have a problem. Can you laugh? Ha, ha, ha. No, that's when, that's when things start happening, when you got saved. And especially when you joined a spirit-filled church that believes the Bible. You were in a denomination before that didn't, you know, and you're like, I, my life was so smooth and so nice. And then I went to that Bible-believing, that, that Bible-believing, Bible-trusting, uh, word-smoting, demon-smoting, healing-kneeling church, and then all things broke loose on my life. 
And so, because you have a target. And so, you think it's strange. And sometimes we think, well, if I don't give the devil any trouble, he'll leave me alone. How's that working for you? When you got born again, you got X marks the spot. Because you bear the image of God on the inside of you, and he will find you. He's like, well, you know, if I hide, then he won't find you. Well, that's why you have armor on the front side. There's no armor on the back side. So many Christians have so many darts on their gluteus maximus because they're trying to hide. And, and so, again, you have armor to stand against the devil. And so he's giving you everything you know to whip the devil. To ask someone, have you whipped the devil lately? Amen. And we think it's so strange that something bad's happened in my life. I must be stra- I must be out of the will of God. No, because you're only going to have suffering two times in your life. I have some good news for you. When you're in the will of God and when you're out of the will of God. <laughs> only two times. But I want to be in the will of God. And so look in 1 Peter 4.12. There's nothing strange happening to you. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is trying you, as though some strange thing happened to you. It's nothing strange for a Christian. And so again, that's suffering. You know, religion always gets it backwards. And religion says, why is there trials and sufferings in the Christian walk? And so religion says, because you're in a classroom. And so God has put you down in this classroom, and life's all a classroom. And so he will send you trials to teach you things. He'll put stuff on you to teach you things. Or he'll allow things to come in your life and teach you things. Now, now let me say something to you, that if you never learn anything in any of your tests, then you're, you're dumb. You know, some wisdom's forced upon you over time. But you know what? That's not, not the main reason why you're having a trial. It's not the main reason you're having sufferings in life. Why do you have trials in life? Why do you have testings in life? Not because you're in a classroom. This is your classroom. While you're reading the, reading the Word of God in your own personal time, it's your prayer time, it's this church service, that's your classroom. Then when you go out, why do you have trials out there? Because it's a battlefield. You're called out in the devil's world, the God of this world, and to preach the gospel, shine the light out there, take the prisoners that are captive by Satan and bring them into the kingdom. And when you do that, you're on a target for him and he's going to attack you. And so you're on a battlefield. You're not on carnal cruise lines. <laughs> so there's nothing strange happening to you that it's not being happened by any other Christian in the world. Look in 1 Peter 5, look at verse 9. 1 Peter 5, 9 says, resist him. What? Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Didn't say submit to him. It says resist him. As Andrew says, if you haven't had any resist, if you haven't bumped into the devil, you're going in the same direction. And it says resist him steadfast in the faith. And sometimes we don't start resisting the devil until he's got a foothold in our life because he's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he starts out with stealing. He starts out with small things like paper clips, pins, your socks. You're just like, I wonder where my socks are going. He's stealing them. (laughs) Wondering if you'll ever stop and say, no, my socks are not leaving my house. (laughs) They're here. But then he takes bigger things. He'll take an inch. He'll take them up. He takes a little bit, a little bit. But then all of a sudden you will stand up when he's taking your TV out the door. No, no. (laughs) Takes your refrigerator out there. No, no, devil, you're going to do that. But he's already been in your house. So it says resist him from the onset. 
steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the entire world. Every Christian that's standing for God's facing this. Nothing strange that's happened to you. And so Paul says that. Look in verse 8. 2 Corinthians 1.8 says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so we despaired even of life. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about something. Now, Paul will use this phrase a number of times in the New Testament. He says, I would, you not be, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. And whenever he uses this phrase, it's because they're ignorant. And so Paul will use this with spiritual gifts. He says, brethren, I would have you not ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. But they were ignorant. They were misusing them. And body, the body of Christ is ignorant about spiritual gifts. Paul goes on in 1 Thessalonians 4, says, I would have you not ignorant concerning end times. I would have you not ignorant. But they were ignorant. And the body of Christ is still ignorant about end times. Then he talks about, I would have you not ignorant about baptisms. The baptism into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea, I would not have you ignorant. But the church is ignorant when it comes to the doctrine of baptisms. But here Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Tell someone, don't be ignorant. ignorant. Now we put, that is a put down term today, ignorant. But ignorant just in the Greek means not knowing. You know we're all ignorant just in different subjects. And so as we, I don't want you to be ignorant about what, Paul? That our trouble which came to us in Asia. I want you to know about my trials I've had in my life. I don't want you to see my victories. I want, to see, I want to, you to know about that I've gone through some things. I've gone through some mistakes. I've gone through some trials in life. And I don't want you to be ignorant about it. Some ministers act like they've never had a problem. They just walked on the air. They had enough faith. They've never had a problem. They're just constantly walking over any problem. That's not the case. And there's not a single minister that has walked free from trouble. And Paul says, we had trouble. Look at that word trouble. It means pressure. Intense pressure. Raise your hand if you've ever had intense pressure. You might have intense pressure this morning, but there's hope. And Paul says, I want you to know about the pressure that came to us in Asia. Actually, that's Ephesus. He was in Ephesus having revival. Revival hit that city. He went and preached to the Jews. And of course, again, he wasn't called to the Jews. He went to the Jews. They kicked him out. And he says, I'm going to the Gentiles. God says, thank you. About time. So he goes to the Gentiles, preaches the grace message to the Gentiles. They love the grace message. There's revival. The power of God's being poured out in his ministry. Remember the handkerchiefs and aprons that were taken from his body? Demons were being, people were being healed. And the seven sons of Sceva, they tried to emulate that. And then one demon kill, uh, you know, beat up all seven of them, stripped them naked before they got to the door. And so there was so much revival that people were getting saved in the entire city. They were bringing their magic art books and burning them and repenting of their works. Great revival. Matter of fact, that the main industry in Ephesus was the selling of gold sta uh, silver statues of Diana, the idol. And because Ephesus was a tourist town, like Las Vegas, and they would come and have a good time in Ephesus, and what, and what really drew people to Ephesus was the worship. Yeah, the church service is there. They really loved the worship in Ephesus because how you worship Diana was by having sex. It was a very popular religion. So people would come to town, and they would go and worship at the temple, and then as a memento, they would buy a little silver statue of Diana as a memento of what happened there that weekend, and walk out, and they were making millions. Wow. 
But all of a sudden, so many people were getting saved that the sales were just stopped on this sale of the, these, these, gold, these uh, silver statutes. And the leader of the entire tradesmith of this got mad and says, you know what, our money's going away. And so they grabbed Paul. I want you to see something. Look in, that, in Ephesus where Paul's going to talk about the trouble that he had and he describes it. In 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 32. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32 says, If in the manner of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And so he didn't fight with literal beasts, but he fought the opposition were wild beasts. And he said, we're going to find out that he's going to think that he is going to die because they such a commotion takes up because of Alexander the coppersmith. He starts... So he starts a riot in Ephesus and gets every, the whole town stirred up to where they all march out and fill up the amphitheater. And for the space of an hour, they're shouting, is uh, Diana, the, uh, the uh, greatest Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And they just scream that for an hour. Finally, someone looks over and says, why are we here? I thought, I don't know. Did you know why we're here? Well, no one knew why they were there. They were just there screaming. And then they tried to find Paul to bring him in, to kill him in the amphitheater, and he barely escaped his life. And so that's what he's talking about here. So he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of my trouble, which came to us in Asia or Ephesus, that we were burdened beyond measure. The pressure was beyond our calculation. Next he says, it was above strength. What does he mean? It was above our natural strength to handle it. You ever had a, a trial so strong it was, you couldn't handle it? It was beyond your strength, beyond your wisdom, beyond your ability to deal with it. Paul says, I've been there. I've been to where it was beyond what I could handle. And so he said, it was above my strength. But when, you're, when you run out of you, you run into God. Ask someone, have you run out of you yet? That's our problem. We haven't run out of our idea, our plan A, plan B, plan C, plan Z, Z, top plan. And so we need to finally, when we run out of us, then we run into God. Isaiah chapter 40, look at verse 31. Isaiah 40, look at verse 31. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Exchange strength. Give up on your strength. Receive the Lord's strength. His strength never runs out. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Look at that word wait. Well, I'm just waiting on the Lord, Pastor. Whenever he feels like he wants to do something, I'll just, I'm here. No, look at that word wait. It means to expect. It's, a, it's an eager expectation. You're looking for him. You're knowing he's going to come through for you. And so here it says, Paul says, this trial was above my strength. I couldn't handle this problem. But pastor, you're probably thinking, yeah, but what about 1 Corinthians 10, 13? How does that fit, pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. Thank you. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, look at verse 13. Seems to contradict what Paul is saying here. Paul says, no temptation, the word temptation in the Greek, you can translate it test, trial, or temptation, same Greek word. So no trial or test is overtaking you except such as common to man. You know, a lot of people, they go, you know what, my problem's so big, 
I know that verse you just gave me applies to most people. But you know what? It doesn't apply to me because my problem is so big and so powerful. No, no, it's not. It's, it's garden variety. You don't want to hear that. Well, I want my special problem. I'm special because I have a special problem. No, garden variety. You're normal. One time Joanne said that to me. And, I, I just, and she says, well, honey, you're just normal. I'm like, I needed to hear that. No temptation is overtaking you except is common to man. But God is faithful. Say, God is faithful. I don't care what you're facing today. God's faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted, tested, or tried above which you're able. But that doesn't seem... Paul just said he had a trial, he had a pressure that was above his strength to handle it. He couldn't handle that. So which is true? Do you or don't you? So how do you do that? This verse is talking about that God's not going to allow you to have a test in your life which is above your ability to believe Him for victory. Above your faith level. Your faith level to be able to lay hold of the grace of God, to lay hold on the promise. Because God has a promise for every problem you have. There is over 7,000 promises in the Word of God. I know you've had a bad day when you, you believe all the demons have left Africa and they're on your front porch. They are all hitting you at the one time and you're the object of Satan's attack. But I don't care, on your worst day, you've never had 7,000 problems on one day. But even if you did, there's 7,000 promises that you can lay hold of to overcome every single one of them. And so Paul says, you're not going to ever come to a point to where God's going to allow a test to come to you that you're unable to lay hold of the grace of God with your faith. But Paul says, I reached my limit of the human. I didn't know what to do. I lost my wit. I didn't have any power over this. It looks like I was going to die that day. And so look at this. Paul says, again, I didn't know what to do. What do you do in life's too much to handle? What should you do? Well, the first thing is pray. Pray. Well, I'm going to try to figure it out. How's that, how, how's that working? Well, you have, you've tried. And the more you've tried, all you've done is made it worse. And so again, pray. Has it come to that? Prayer. Praying in the Spirit. If you don't pray in tongues, you're, you have a gift from God that you're, you're, you're limited. You're fighting devil with one hand tied behind your back. So you need to be spirit-filled, and so start praying in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost knows your answer. The Holy Spirit knows the way out. The Holy Spirit knows where it came from. The Holy Spirit knows where you're going. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. And then He will lead you, and, he'll get a, and you'll get a word. Say you need a word. Get a word from God. You just need one word from God that will change your situation. One word from God will change your life. One word can set you free. One word from God. You know, when God's spoken to me in times, you think, you know, my problem's so big, I need a whole paragraph. I need a whole chapter from God. And God gives me one or two words. That's it. Really? Yeah. Because you know what? God's comfort, he's the God of all comfort. But what does he comfort you with? His word. His word, his word. Romans chapter 15 says that through the comfort of the scriptures... God's going to fill you strength, fill you with power because of one promise. You just need one promise from God. You need to hear a word about your situation. And so it's frustrating when you go to God and say, well, God, I need guidance and all I got was scripture. You go for counsel and pastor just gives you a scripture. 
No, I don't need, I need, I need you to wave your hand and make it all good. No, you need the word. Because the word, God backs up the word with his power and his provision. It's his promise. And so you just need a word. So pray in the spirit, get a word from God, and then stay in fellowship and partnership with other believers. Paul said, pray for me. Often, pray for me. That's the apostle Paul. Pray for me. If he needed prayer, then you need prayer. Tell someone you need prayer. Now tell someone on the other side, you really need prayer. And I really need water. That's what church is so important. Don't run. When you're having a trial in life, running away from church is the worst thing. The enemy wants you separated. But you need to be around other believers that can lift you up. And the temptation when you go through a trial is to pull aside and look at yourself and feel sorry for yourself and become a navel gazer. But no, we need to come to church to where our faith hooks with your faith. The Roman shield, the shield of faith, that's the Roman shield. Paul was in prison looking at a Roman centurion. Saw a shield popped up against the wall. And says, that's like faith. You know the Roman shield had hooks on either side? So one shield could hook to one shield and hook shield. So they together were stronger than they were by themselves. So that's why you need to come to church so that your faith can be hooked to another believer's faith. So you can come through. And so pray in the spirit, get a word from God, and then stay in fellowship. How, what's fellowship? Two fellows in a ship. Making it through the storm together. Paul said this, this trial, this pressure was so strong. I, it was above my ability to handle it. didn't have the wisdom for it. What am I going to do in this problem? He says, I even despaired of even life. It seemed like I was dead meat. Have you ever been in a situation where it looked like you were dead meat? And so Paul said in verse 9, yes, we had a sentence, a verdict of death in ourselves. And so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in the God who raises from the dead. And so Paul said, this was a dead-end road. It looks like I was going to die that day in Ephesus. But God. Say, but God. But God, but God comes through in the moments when you don't know what to do. I call them Red Sea moments. Red Sea moments. That's what happened when God delivered the nation of Israel. On purpose, he led them up to a mountain, butted up against a mountain range, and a sea in front of them, and they were, tra they were trapped. There's no way for them to go. And the enemy says, ah, oh, they're encumbered in the wilderness. They are, they're confused. They don't know where they're going. They're, they're easy meat. They're prey for us. Let's go get them. And the enemy's coming. And the Israelites are all panicking and crying out to, crying out to Moses. Moses, Moses, what are you going to do? Do you leave us out here to kill us? And Moses says, stand still and believe because the salvation of the Lord will come this day. And then he quietly went around on a rock, behind a rock, and went, Oh, God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do, God? Because the next verse says, God says, Why are you crying out to me, Moses? Stretch out your rod. I've given you authority. Have you ever been caught between the to the deep blue sea and the enemy on your heels where you're encumbered and you don't know your way out. God specializes when there is no way.
there is no way, Pastor. There's no way for this financial problem. There's no way for this health, this diagnosis I got. They say it's terminal. There's no answer in my marriage. There's no answer at my work situation. It's a dead situation. And God says, no, I still know how to split a Red Sea. Because I am the way when there is no way. I am the way. I'll split the Red Sea for you. And so why? Why does God wait to the last moment? He always loves to wait to the very last moment. He's never late, but he's never early either. He delivers us at the last moment. One of the main reasons for this is that we will not put any trust in ourselves anymore. We give up on ourselves and look up because he's our deliverer. Because you really do not know God your source until you don't have anything but God. Well, God's my source. Got a bank account? Got my special? Yeah. God's my source. No, you don't know he's your source until you have nothing but God. And it says here, he says that we not trust in ourselves, but put our trust in the God who raises from the dead. Pastor, my situation's past help. It died. That marriage died. That relationship died. My financial stuff died. Well, he will raise it from the dead. Because he's the God who still raises from the dead. Praise God. If you're not living on, if you've never lived on the edge, you're taking up too much room. Andrew Womack. <laughs> Verse 10. Who delivered us from so great a death? Say, so great a death. So great a death. And does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. In this verse, he says, I have delivered you, I am going to deliver you, and I will deliver you still in the future. How will I know he's going to deliver me right now? Because he's delivered me in the past. Raise your hand if God's ever delivered you in the past. Well, he'll deliver you today. And he's going to continue to deliver you. Pastor, what am I going to do? Look at the world. Look at the COVID. Look at the vaccines. Look at all this stuff. What is going to happen? Well, the God who has delivered you, the God's going to deliver you today is the God that will continue delivering you over and over and over and over throughout eternity. You've made me do this. I'm a teacher. And now I'm treaching. Who delivered us? It means, this word delivered means to draw or snatch from a... It's like a raging water uh, a river and you're getting snatched at the last moment out of it. Who delivered us from so great a death. Say, so great a death. You know what... what you, when, you know, when you got saved, your greatest miracle you got delivered was from spiritual death. Right. You used to be a sinner. You used to be spiritually dead. And God delivered you from so great a death. He saved you. Translated you out of kingdom Satan into the kingdom of the, God's dear son. He took you out of the Adams family and <laughs> put you into Christ. Let me try that again. He took you out of the Adams family. In a moment, translated you into the 
kingdom of his dear son. That was the greatest problem you could ever have, being a sinner. You couldn't save yourself. You were in a dead situation. You could never, and he saved you. He delivered you. So what's your financial problem? What's that work situation? What's that health situation? It's nothing. Nothing. He has delivered you. He's going to deliver you. And he will deliver you forever. Why? Because that's his name. He's called the deliverer six times in scripture. He's called deliverer. Six stands for man, the number of man for man. So when man runs out on his wisdom, his ability, his strength, that's when God likes to take over. For are you at the end of yourself, though? He says he has delivered you, he will deliver you, and he'll yet still deliver you. Well, how, how do I know that? Because in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it says, this is the day of salvation. Say this day. This day. Today, today is the day of salvation. Today. Your breakthrough, God's going to deliver you today. Amen. Say today. 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 And how do I know he's going to do it tomorrow? Because when I read this verse tomorrow, it's today. His word is forever. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time of deliverance. In whom we trust that he will yet still deliver us. So he provides deliverance past, present, and the future throughout eternity. Look at verse 11. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through the many. It says, you by praying, you by praying for us, are helping together. Prayer is helping. Helping who? Not just Paul. It's actually co-laboring with God. Why? God is the deliverer. And he wants to deliver, but guess what? He needs our cooperation. He needs our faith. He needs our authority on the earth to let him get involved in your situation. So guess what? Every time you pray for someone in their problem, you are cooperating. You are co-laboring with God in the ministry of deliverance. Your prayers are powerful. I don't think we realize just how powerful our prayers are. And God says that you helped God in the ministry of being a deliverer by your prayers. And so again, we're called to do that. And so prayer is so powerful. If we're without resources in the natural to provide natural aid, we can still provide active assistance by prayer. By prayer. Many times the elderly that don't have any physical or financial wherewithal to provide significant help in the natural, they do it through prayer. They do it through prayer. They have an intercessory prayer. Towards the end of their life, they have a powerful intercessory prayer ministry. Jesus' last ministry on the earth was an intercessory prayer ministry. His feet were nailed to the cross, or his hands were nailed to the cross. The feet that would take him through dusty lanes, taking him to go bring deliverance and salvation and preach the gospel, was nailed to the cross. Those hands that laid hands on the sick that saw healing and power flow through them were nailed to the cross. He couldn't walk anywhere. He couldn't do anything, but he could still pray. And the last thing he said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he bowed his head, and immediately a Roman centurion said, This was the Son of God. Confessed him as Lord and Savior, and his prayer was answered. And so if you don't have anything else you feel like I can do, you can pray, you can pray, you can pray. I believe 
that one of the successes of all ministries is there's prayer support. Prayer support. And when, uh, when the day when the reward, God hands his reward out, I guarantee you way up in front isn't going to be the ministers. It's not going to be the people that are out front. It's going to be that, old, that, that little lady or that guy shut up in a room praying hour after hour intercession. They're going to be receiving. So who is that? Who is that? That's an intercessor. Someone who prayed. And so again, I covet your prayers. I covet your prayers today. And so you can pray. It says that this verse says, goes on to say, and you help together in prayer for us that thanks, say thanks, may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted. Look at that word gift. What's the gift that God will grant? Deliverance. And it's a gift. You know, God wants to deliver you and it's something that you don't deserve. It's a gift. Well, I don't, I, well, I disearned it. Look, I did the, I'm part of the problem. You usually are. <laughs> but he's going to deliver you because it's a gift, unmerited favor. He loves you. And he's going to bring you out. And it's a gift, but it's going to come through prayer. And so it says, then it says, but thanks was involved. Thanks may be given by many persons on behalf of the gift granted. This verse seems to imply that God gave the gift of deliverance and then many people said, well, thank you, Lord. No, no, no. The thanksgiving came first. Because what is thanksgiving? It's a release of faith. It's saying, God, I believe you're going to do this and I know you're going to do this. I stand on your word. You're faithful. You're going to bring me through. Hallelujah. And you start praising God and thanking God before you see your deliverance. See, a lot of Christians are good about doing the, the uh, charismatic jig <laughs> after the deliverance. But you know what? You need to release your faith and start thanking and praising God before. And that's the catalyst to your deliverance. Thanksgiving, the thanksgiving of faith is a catalyst to seeing God's power hit you. And so again, start thanking God for the person you're praying for. Oh God, let's just get everybody together and worry. No, let's get everybody together in faith. Those that know, you don't need everybody praying for you. Oh, you don't need everybody praying for you. Because a lot of people aren't in faith. You need those that know the word and are in faith about what you, and you need to start and get those people around you. You don't need a whole bunch of them. I'd rather have one person in faith than 50,000 of them in unbelief. And so again, helping together with God through prayer. And so thanksgiving is what you're going to do when you pray for somebody. Look at 2 Corinthians 2.14. Look at this powerful verse. Raise your hand if you want to triumph in every situation. Some of you, that's good. Second Corinthians 2.14, now, say now. 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 When? Now. now. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Well, pastor, I don't always see, I'm not seeing no triumph. Because you haven't added what's needed beforehand, thanks. Now. Amen. Now. Well, I'm waiting till afterwards. No, now. The thanks of faith, the release of faith. And it will bring you through. It will bring you triumph every single time. 
Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 57. But thanks, say thanks, be to God who gives us the victory. It's a gift. It's a gift. You don't deserve it. You haven't disearned it. It's unmerited favor. He wants to give it to you, but what comes first? Thanks. The thanks of faith. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, it's important what you do in the midst of your trial. In the midst of your trial. It's very important what you do at the midnight of your trial. What's the midnight of your trial? That's when it's the darkest. That one seems that there's no light. There's no hope. You don't see anything. You don't see any victory. It seems the worst as it's ever gotten. You're believing God, and the doctor says it's worse. You're believing for financial breakthrough, and it gets worse. You ever been there? And it's the midnight hour. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You get into a fetal position. <laughs> look at Psalms 119. Look at verse 62. Psalms 119. Look at verse 62. At midnight. What are you going to do at midnight? At midnight, I will rise. God's saying to someone, get up. Get out of the pity. Get out of the despondency. Get out of the fear. Get out of your worry. Rise up. And do what? At midnight. I will rise to give thanks to your name. Because I believe and trust that you're my deliverer. I can't see anything in the natural, but I know you. Acts 16.25, Paul was at a midnight hour in his life. He was in a jail cell in Philippi, and God led him to Philippi supernaturally by a vision. And he gets there, and he gets caught by the authorities, gets whipped. His back is bleeding. He's in chains. He's in the inner prison. They said he put him in the inner prison. I mean, he was so far in the prison, they had to shoot biscuits at him to give him dinner. <laughs> And he was in, his feet was in stocks, his feet's in chains. And it's like, God, where are you? You sent me in the ministry and look where I'm at now. I'm in a prison cell and, I'm, and it's dark. There's no light here. And it seems like there's no out. I'm a prisoner now. There's no answer. What am I going to do? In Acts 16, 25, it says, but at midnight. What are you going to do at midnight? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining I'm sorry, clueless translation. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing, singing. What are you doing on your midnight? And the prisoners were listening to them. People are watching you in your trial. They were listening. But not only they were listening. He was listening to them sing and started tapping his foot to the rhythm of the music. And an earthquake hit. And all the chains of all the prisoners fell off. Well, pastor, my problem's bigger than just that. I need something a little more complex to do than just thank the Lord and praise the Lord. Oh, really? 
It's garden variety. <laughs> and your answer is the same. At midnight, thank and praise the Lord. Amen. And a change will come off. You'll find the victory. Finally, look at Philippians 1. Look at verse 19. Paul's in prison. In Rome. This is later. Philippians 1.19. We'll end with this verse. There's hope of this ending. <laughs> Philippians 1.19. And Paul is not out of prison, but he fully expects it. Because he knows his God. The God that has delivered him will deliver him and will yet deliver him. And Paul says, how is it going to happen? Philippians 1.19, for I know that this will turn out, turn out for my deliverance. Say my deliverance. For every so great a death, there's a so great a deliverance. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer. Oh, it's just God alone. No, it's not God alone. It's God and your prayer, co-laboring together. Your prayer for other people is important. He says, for I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, co-laboring together. Your prayer and the power of God is going to set me free. Look at this word supply. The word supply of the Spirit, it's a very unique Greek word. This word, this is a compound Greek word, which means to supply or outfit the choir. It means to provide for the choir. What was this word used for? It was used in the ancient Greek word that there was theatrical productions, and so they didn't have Netflix, they didn't have movie theaters, they had plays. And they, these troops would put on these plays, theatrical plays, and then they had singing, they had choirs that go along. And so they would put, put these, the, these rich theatrical with, with all this fine clothes, and, the, and it was very expensive to put these on. And these troops would run out of money. And they wouldn't be able to bring the, the next, go to the next city because they didn't have any money left to continue on with everything they needed for the productions. And so what they did is they, they, you know, they said, well, we can't, let, we can't not have entertainment. And so rich people would buy and they would vie for the right to be able to, to, to pay for the, the underwrite the theater productions. Just, and to sponsor them and say, hey, this was done by this guy in this business. And so they would vie to see who would be the top bidder. And they would have rich ones. They would vie for who could supply the most money to where it was known that these choirs were richly provided for with more than they would ever need. You know what? God's still supplying for his choir. Will you praise God in your midnight hour? Will you thank him? Will you pray for somebody in their midnight hour? God will supply the choir richly. And he's going to bring deliverance to you. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much that you're the God. You're called the deliverer. And you're the God that has delivered us time and time again. From so great a death, you saved us. What more problem could we ever have? But Lord, you're the God that's going to deliver us right now. And you will continue to do it throughout eternity because that's who you are.
you say, Pastor, I'm in a trial. I'm in a pressure right now beyond what I can handle. And I'm at the end of myself and I'm ready. To, I'm not going to keep trying. I'm going to run up the white flag and say, God, it's your turn. Tag, you're it. I'm going to hand my problem to you finally. I'm going to let you deliver me today. You say, Pastor, pray for me. That's me. I'm in that situation. I'm in a Red Sea moment. I'm dead meat if God doesn't come through right now. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand and say, God, this is yours. This is yours. Take it. Take it. Father, thank you. You delight in this. You delight in being their deliverer. It's a gift. Victory is a gift. Triumph is a gift. Deliverance is a gift to you today. Take it. Father, I thank you for delivering them. Thank you for angels being released in their behalf right now. Finances, everything they need, Lord. Situations, and if it's dead, raise it from the dead, Father. Raise dead relationships from the dead, dead health situations, dead financial situations. Raise it from the dead right now. Father, I thank you for doing that in Jesus' name. We're about to have worship right now. This is the time that you need to rise at midnight and praise God and thank the Lord in faith. And so as we sing, if you're in a situation where I'm just talking about, I want you to come up and I just want you to line up here and I want you to magnify and glorify the Lord. And the Lord's going to do some mighty things today because the Lord has come today to deliver in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. I was not, not going to compensate, but I just feel the Lord wanted to just come and encourage some of you. And um, I'm using 1 Corinthians 10 in the NLT. NLT. It said, the temptation in your life are no different from what others are experiencing. But I want to focus on, and God is faithful. Brothers and sisters, God is faithful. Some of you, you're going through some pressing things this week. You don't know how, like Pastor Rick said, you don't know how you're going to come out of it. But I'm telling you, God is faithful to his word. And you're coming out of it. I have two boys. And for, for almost seven years, he just cut me off. I haven't seen him. I saw him when they were building Karis. And one day, you know, as a minister, you know, your people come, oh, your kids are there in ministry and then following Jesus. And it's like, no, not really. But I was feeling bad. And one day I was talking to my sister, um, Joanne, at her job. And tell her, and she said, Herbert, are you son them following Jesus? I said, not really. And she said, let's pray. And she prayed. And, and that same, within a few minutes, I got a call from my son for seven years. He said, Dad, I want to connect back with you. And last week he went to church. He met my girlfriend. He's in church. He's going back. He's back to Jesus. So your practical sons and daughters, they're coming back. Amen. And praise you, Jesus. Don't give up, folks. Don't give up. Somebody, I believe some of you want to give up. You want to give up. Like you said, this is it. This is it. I'm, I'm just ready to check out. The devil is a liar. I don't care what it look like. Some, I just feel like somebody, Karis, Bible college student, you feel like, man, my tuition is, is due God is faithful. I've been there. God is faithful. Your tuition will pay. You will finish strong.